of the Lord is in this place right now. Oh, hallelujah. Okay. Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you for your mercy. You are a God who heals us. You are the God who cares for us. Your psalm this morning reminded us we need to call out to you. We need to say, God, come and help us, heal us, um, make us wise for these days. Cause our hearts to be knit only to you, Lord God, and to see what your purposes are and to fulfill them. Strengthen us, Lord. While though our years are many, strengthen us. Renew our strength like an eagle, as the promise in Psalm 103, that we might serve you and be entirely available to do that which you call us to do. We want to praise and thank you for each one that is here today and ask your blessing on the service and on our precious Pastor Ray as he brings the message. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. You know, um, I was blessed to be one of the thousands of people that were without power and without light uh, Friday night into Saturday morning. And it just tells me and shows me mankind's light, mankind's power. <laughs> then you have God's light, God's power. The light of life, your faith and your hope are in God. We get so used to this world that we lose sight of the next. 
We get so used to the darkness and the chaos of the world's suffering and violence that we lose sight of his brightness, of him who alone can say, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He alone is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He alone is the hope of the hopeless, the savior of the lost, a guide of the wandering. He alone is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Today, the world leaders struggle with almost these insurmountable problems, and they always will. But in the midst of the world's persistent darkness, never lose sight of Jesus. He alone is the hope of the world, and he is your hope as well. And the hope for today, Jesus has always brought light to the places of darkness. Fear, guilt, and shame flourish in the dark. Dark has no place for God's people. Ask God to shine his light into every area of your life. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. king over all the earth and in that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. Glorify the King of Kings, we will glorify. 
of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. 
And we're going to pray through Psalm 23. If you're comfortable sitting, you stay right there. If you'd like to stand, do that. I'm going to stand. You, Lord, are my shepherd. I shall not want. You make me to lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside the still waters. You restore my soul. You lead me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in your house, O Lord, forever. Amen. Is this King of Glory, the Lord of Hosts? He is the King of Glory, Sheila.
scripture today comes again from Matthew 13. You know, it's a pretty long chapter. Uh, (laughs) These are verses 31 and through 33 and 44 through 52. Here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in there, in, in three measures of flour, It permeated every part of the dough. Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the outlook for choice, for choice pearls. When he discovers a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up upon the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you understand these things? Yes, they said, we do. Then he added, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven 
is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom new gems of truth as well as old. Now, if you'll join me now in not doing a responsive reading, trying to see if I was catching you there. <laughs> Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you do, all that you are, all you have created and the, the graciousness that you share with us all. And Lord, we know it all belongs to you and, and you, you do call on us not only to use your things, but to give back, to share, to help others come to know you, Lord. So we ask that the gifts we give today will be pleasing in your sight and will help someone or me, hopefully many someones, come to know you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. They say you're only as good as your last success and failure's not an option. Maybe that's why I'm exhausted. Held so tight to their applause that when it stopped, I thought the yours were too. Till you said that my heart to you is worth everything. Somebody when I'm already somebody to you Got nothing to prove anymore So there's nothing to lose anymore You're gonna keep on loving me for more than just the things that I do I'll sing it till there's no doubt Nobody can count me out Cause I'm already somebody to you
somebody to you. What if we totally embrace this? Truly believe that you and I are somebody to God. Indeed we are. We have nothing to prove. All that we will ever be, he has already purposed, ordained, and established. Galatians 4, 5. God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. The Greek word for adoption is weathosia. The word is a combination of the word son and position. It literally means that we have been given a position in God as sons and daughters. If we fail to comprehend our position in God, before God, because of his son Jesus Christ, we will never have the confidence to lead others to trust in his all-sufficiency. As children of the Most High, we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, which means we have access to every power and privilege that is his. Mind-blowing. But do we act like it? Do we live as though we truly believe this? And not only are we family, we are friends. I am a friend of God. Friends with Almighty God. Friends with the Creator of heaven and earth. Friends with my Lord and Savior. There is no backbiting in God's family. None that is permitted. No envy, no jealousy, no strife. Love, support, and encouragement are the ethos, the spirit of the family of God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And each of us has been redeemed for that purpose to give that life away, to give it to everyone we meet. Can I hear an amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us comprehend this morning that the reason we are seated here, the reason we are seated in the heavenly palaces with our Christ Jesus is to share the life you have given us, to pass it on, to pay it forward to everyone we meet. By your grace this morning, speak to our hearts, encourage our hearts through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. My sermon this morning is entitled, Glory Be. Glory be to God. The text is Acts chapter 6 and 7. 
But let's review what we learned last week in Acts chapter 5. We studied the tragedy of Ananias and Sapphira, and they're lying to the Holy Spirit. And what was your takeaway? Your takeaway should have been the quote from G. Campbell Morgan, the church pure is the church powerful. And what's that mean? It means if we don't clean house, God will. It means what Jesus said about the fields being ripe for harvest. And that is truer today than ever before. It means time is short and we need to be very circumspect about our relationship with the Lord. Slide one, please. My wife told me I didn't leave this up long enough last week, so here you go again. The acrostic for ghost, Holy Ghost, G, get before God, sit in his presence, and then listen. H, humble yourself before him. An excellent way to do that is pray the Psalm of Contrition, Psalm 51. Obey what the Spirit tells you to do and don't hesitate. S, specialize in your gifting. First, you have to learn what your gifting is. I have downloaded a spiritual gifts test. If you would like to discover your spiritual gifts, let me know, and I will arrange for you to uh, have a copy of that test. If I find enough interest, we'll do a special service on it. T, train to be ready to share your faith. But... Uh, don't be timid. We learn best by doing. Just jump in the water and do it. Time is short, and one day very soon you and I will see what St. John saw and heard in Revelation chapter 1. Slide 2, please. Revelation 1.12. This is St. John speaking. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. In fact, it was the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. How is Jesus dressed here? He is dressed in the robes of a high priest, the high priest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand, and a sharp two-edged sword came from his mouth. What sword is that? It's the Word of God. And his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. One day very soon, we will all see Jesus face to face. And we will see unbelievable brilliance. That should make you jiggy. That should put a smile on your face and a song in your heart. And when you see him, what will the Lord Jesus say to you? 
I believe that perhaps the first thing he will say to you is this, did you really believe that I loved you? Did you really believe that I sacrificed myself for you? And then I think he will say, slide three please, what he said to St. John, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and the grave. I hold the keys to your death and your grave. And you have conquered the grave because of me. The next time a JW knocks on your door, ask them this, when did God die? And when they answer, God's never died, quote them what we just read, Revelation 1.18. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in the grave. If they say, well, yeah, but Jesus isn't God. Tell them only God holds the keys of death and the grave. No man, no angel, nothing created has that power. Only God in the person of Jesus Christ. And in the person of Jesus Christ, God died and rose again. But what are the seven lampstands made of gold? What, what are they all about? They are the charter churches of the New Testament the original seven churches of Jesus Christ. They are called lampstands because they were, as we are, the light of the world. This church is a charter church. God himself has signed our charter, and he will not let us fail. So let's not complain like Elijah, but Lord, I'm the only one left. They've killed all your servants. I'm the only one left. And what did God say? Back the truck up, Elijah. I have a remnant of 7,000 over here who have not bowed a knee to Baal. We are a lampstand. A light shining in the darkness of Tucson. Let us not forget but let me ask you a question. Are we doing our job? Remember this. We will be judged as people, as a church, just like the seven churches of St. John's Revelation. God is working behind the scenes. He is preparing us for far greater things, but we have to be patient. Not complacent, but patient. Last week we compared how God dealt with Ananias and Sapphira to how he judged Israel in their wilderness wanderings. Specifically how the rebellion of Korah against Moses resulted in the death of over 15,000 Israelites, either by being swallowed up by the earth or struck down by plague. Rebellion against God is a serious thing. And it has serious consequences. And so is apathy. So let me ask you another question. Are we apathetic? Are we secretly saying to ourselves, oh, this church will never grow. 
God has forgotten who we are. He has cast us aside. We must not be doing something right or we'd be growing. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not content to die in the desert like the Israelites. Now, mind you, I'm not afraid of dying in the desert. I just don't want to spend the next 40 years wandering in it, all the while complaining to God. Slide four, please. In Numbers 14, 18, Moses is pleading with God not to destroy Israel for complaining and for their rebellion. And Moses quotes what the Lord has previously said to him. The Lord said, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. But I do not excuse the guilty. Who are the guilty? We all rebel. We all complain. But are we the guilty? The guilty are those who sneer at God continually, and say, my way is better. It's my life, hands off. It's my life, not yours. Those are the guilty. Those who rebel and then entice others to join them in their apostasy, they are the guilty. And what exactly is apostasy? It can be a subtle indifference or full-on heresy. In the rebellion of Korah, we see that just three rotten apples were spoiling the entire barrel, the entire nation of Israel. And when the rebellion was brought to fruition, 15,000 of God's people perished. Hansel and Gretel left breadcrumbs in the forest to find their way home. But the children of Israel marked their 40-year trek in the wilderness by littering the desert with the graves of 600,000 Israelites. Israel wore out a bunch of shovels over the course of 40 years. Slide 5. In Numbers chapter 14, 27 through 29, the Lord asked Moses, How long? Must I put up with this wicked community and its complaints about me? I have heard the complaints the Israelites are making against me. Now tell them this. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. You will all drop dead in the wilderness. What did the Israelites say that provoked the Lord to say this. Numbers 14.1 The whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in great chorus to protest against Moses and Aaron. At one point they were even plotting to kill Caleb and Joshua. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness they complained. And God says, okay, I can make that happen. And why is Israel weeping in the first place? 
because they believed the bad report of the spies Moses had sent out to scout the promised land. They believed a pathetic report rather than the truth. They said, we felt, like the uh, spies said, we felt like grasshoppers. We, grasshoppers in their sight. They are strong and powerful. We even saw giants among them. 600,000 died because they believed that report. Numbers 14, 29. Because you complained against me, every one of you who is 20 years of old, age or older and was included in the registration will die. The book of Numbers could also be called the book of registration. There was a survey done, a census in the first couple of chapters on Numbers and that's what we're talking about, the registration. You will not enter and occupy the land I swore to give you. The only exceptions will be Caleb and Joshua. Why? because they were the only ones who believed. 600,000 Israelites died in the desert because they refused to live by faith. Slide 6. Hebrews 11.6 from the Amplified. Without faith, it is impossible to walk with God and please Him. For whoever comes near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he rewards those who earnestly and diligently seek him. Numbers 32.13 The Lord was angry with Israel and made them wander in the desert for 40 years until that entire generation that had sinned in the Lord's sight had died. What was their sin? Unbelief. Slide seven. Okay, enough review. Let's get into Acts chapter six and seven. Let's look at our text today and focus on the marvelous things that happen when God's people actually believe what he says and then live it out. Slide 8. Acts 6, 1 through 10. The early church is growing, but there are growing pains. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God and not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then the apostles, we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Slide nine. Verse 5, everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, which was an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. 
These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. These seven men are the first deacons of the church. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. And underline this. And many of the Jewish priests were converted. Verse 8. Stephen, a man full of grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Notice the matriculation here. Stephen starts out serving tables. He is then promoted to deacon, and then God gifts him with a ministry of miracles. Zechariah 4.10, do not despise small beginnings. Do not despise small beginnings of this church, nor your part in it. The church, this church, is a replant. If, you're, if you've done any replanting, and my, my wife is a fabulous green thumb, but she will tell you it's a laborious process. It takes time. Be faithful in God. Be faithful in what He has given you to do. And He will promote you to better things. Slide 10. But one day some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with Stephen. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit of Stephen. In other words, they couldn't stand against the Holy Spirit who was speaking through Stephen. Verse 11, so they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. And this roused the people, the elders and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. Verse 15. At this point, everyone in the high court stared at Stephen because his face became bright as an angel. I've experienced this. My wife and I, very soon after we were married, had an invitation from her aunt to visit them in Maui. So we said, uh, okay, we'll just make this a honeymoon. But my wife's uncle is a uh, virtually a lifelong Mason. He has ascended to the rank of 33rd degree Mason, and he was the master of the Maui Lodge. We sat down and talked one evening, late into the morning, and at one point he asked me, Ray, I understand you demitted from masonry. Why would you do that? Masonry needs men like you. I said, Lauren, no, masonry doesn't need men like me. I said, Lauren, I demitted. Actually, I can sum it up for you in a Bible verse. They have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. He was kind of stupefied. 
I said, Lauren, you, you've been so gracious to uh, put us up in your guest bedroom. And I noticed a Masonic Bible in your bookcase. He said, oh, no, no. There's no such thing as a Masonic Bible. I said, well, it's got Masonic emblems all over it. It may be, but it's not a Masonic Bible. There's no such thing. I said, okay. But I said, the inside cover gives a very comprehensive plan of salvation and how you can meet Christ Jesus, just reading a list of scriptures. I said, have you ever read it? No. But he said, right. There's, a, there's an aura of light around you. I said, Lauren, that's the Holy Spirit. You see, Lauren knew something about spiritual things because his wife had come into a, a goodly sum of money and he used some of it to venture to Africa expecting to set up a rare hardwood lumber exchange. And in the process, he befriended an African tribe. But to become a blood brother of this African tribe, he had to become a weeby priest. He said, in the process, they gave me some drugs that for three days I didn't know who I was or where I was. You see, Lauren knew something about spiritual things. Only he had experienced the dark side of spiritual things. And Ray is no saint, but God decided to illuminate my presence because I was speaking God's truth to him. And he was amazed. And what he saw was the glory of God. So speak the truth and watch God illuminate you and your path. Sadly, uh, to this day, I don't know that Lauren has ever looked in that Bible. I believe he remains convinced that his good works to the Mason will save him. Back to verse 7. Many of the Jewish priests were converted, but not the Sadducees. So why were the Sadducees so resistant to the gospel message? It's called legalism. Legalism is when you lie to yourself and tell yourself that attending church every Sunday is your salvation. That reading your Bible and helping the homeless is your salvation. Legalism is to tell yourself you can earn your way to God. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. How did the Pharisees and Sadducees become so alienated from God? Because they found it easier to focus on works than to live by faith. They were self-justified and self-righteous. But Ephesians 2 says you are saved by faith through grace. Now I've got that backwards, sorry. Save through grace by faith, lest any man should boast. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is all about faith. Slide 11, please. Galatians 3 from the Amplified. Now it is clear that no one is justified, that is declared free of the guilt of sin and its penalty, and placed in right standing before God by the law, or in other words, by your works. For the righteous, the just, the upright shall live by faith. Romans 1.17 This good news of Jesus Christ tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished start to finish by faith. Martin Luther's battle cry against the legalism and apostasy of the Catholic Church was this. The just shall live by faith. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4. To quote John Corson, if we want to be happy, fruitful, excited, and set free in our Christian life, the just shall not only live by faith, they will really live by faith. John 10.10 10 from the message, Jesus' own words. A thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that all who believe in me can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they have ever dreamed of. Real faith gives real life. Apathy becomes apostasy. Apathy means I just don't care. I'm indifferent. It leads to apostasy, and apostasy becomes death. Unbelief will lead you to the death of your soul. Romans chapter 9. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. Well, then you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? I had a conversation online with a uh, gentleman a couple of years ago. And we were talking about sin, and he said, I'm not a sinner. I've never sinned. I've never done anything God didn't make me do. And I answered, ah. Oh. So you're comfortable with calling God a liar. He retorted, I never called God a liar. I said, you just did. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 10 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. And his word is not in us. He promptly hung up. Slide 12. Back to Romans 9. Why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? God does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who re were prepared in advance for 
glory. Stephen was prepared in advance for glory. He is arrested and brought before the Sadducees on trumped up charges and the Sadducees ask him, are these things true? Did you really say these things? And Stephen takes the entire chapter of seven to answer them by reciting 1,100 years of Jewish history. Everything from Abraham to Solomon. And he ends with this bold incrimination. Slide 13. Verses 51 and 53. You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, Messiah. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, you have not obeyed it. Stephen has masterfully explained that the entirety of Scripture points to Messiah. Then tells the Sadducees, and you people killed him. You're committing the same sins your fathers did. The Sadducees have been presented with a chance to repent, but do they? No. What do they do? They get hostile. They get murderous. They take Stephen outside the city gate and stone him to death, just as Jesus was taken outside the city gate and crucified. Stephen was the first martyr of the church. If you really want to understand the perils of the early church, I spoke last week saying, you hear people saying, oh, if we could just have a, a New Testament early church. Well, <clears throat> be careful what you ask for because that involves persecution. But if you really want to understand the persecution of the early church, watch the movie Paul Apostle of Christ, of Jim Caviezel. It's excellent. Stephen is a Greek name. In Greek it is pronounced Stephanos. He was a Greek-speaking Hellenistic Jew, which means he was raised in Greek culture, though he was a Jew by race and by faith. The name Stephanos means crown. And what can we learn from Stephen and all the early martyrs. You will not courageously die for your faith until you are courageously living your faith. Like his Savior, Stephen's last words were, Father, forgive them. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. God can't forgive you until you forgive others. And where will you most likely have to put this practice to use? Where will you most likely have to practice this? Right here in River City. Right here in this very church. Because we are all sinners. We're all sinners saved by grace. 
And when you're saved by grace, you have to extend that grace to everyone you meet. Even those you don't agree with. And that includes the people sitting next to you or behind and in front of you. Stephen was prepared to die for what he believed. Are we? In closing this morning, I want us to focus on this verse, slide 14. Acts 7.55, the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. They shook their fist at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Elsewhere in Scripture, Jesus is pictured as seated at the right hand of God. Why is he standing here? Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Jesus is giving Stephen homage giving him honor for his courage and sacrifice. And when he welcomes you home, he will do the same for you. Slide 15. Let us pray this morning. Repeat this uh, with me. It is a prayer of repentance. Father God, go ahead. I know that I'm a sinner. I know I have fallen short of your glory, short of your commandments and your calling on my life. Please forgive all my sins, for I know they are many, whether intentional or by omission. Sins I have committed in thought, word, or deed. Lord Jesus, I here declare that you are Lord of my life. Please forgive my apathy toward you, your word, and your people. Keep me safe from myself and the devil. Replace my despair with the grace of your comfort, my fear with your courage, the heartaches of my failures with your peace, and my discontentment with the joy of your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. For my benediction, Lamentations 3, 23, 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Eugene Peterson. We have a finite number of ways to sin. God has an infinite number of ways to forgive. After observing the human condition for a few years, we find that in regard to sin, we are mostly watching reruns. After a while, the human condition after a while, we find that people pretty much do the same old thing generation after generation. Sinning doesn't take much imagination. But forgiveness and salvation, that's a different story. 
Every time forgiveness and salvation happens, it is fresh, it is original, catching us by surprise. Sin isn't creative work. And the more we're around it, the duller it seems. Salvation, by contrast, is new every morning. Blessings to you all. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Stand if you'd like.